I always start with this. Sorry, guys. Hey, no, welcome cool. to work. I just I was just trashing Norm. Uh, <laughs> welcome to live from America podcast. This is Hatem. Um, waiting in Norm Nor Dorman, the owner of the Comedy Cellar, my partner, and he's never uh, in time. He always have to mess it up somehow, but uh, we'll see. Hopefully, we'll join us as we go. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, what topics you would like to us to discuss, guests you want to see, you can contact us at Live from America podcast uh, or at our uh, website, livefromamericapodcast.com uh, and we will make it happen. So um, here we go. Let's get started. Derek Humphrey is here, comedian and ex-Navy. You're, you're Navy, right? Yep. Former Navy. Yes, sir. Yeah, ex-Navy and comedian and a good friend of the show and from uh, Bushwick Bears as well, you know, a uh, producer sometime, you know, the Louis C.K. feud with, with Norm. We were discussing before the show how sometimes Norm doesn't uh, always late when Derek is on the show, but... Uh, we'll yeah, see. it's a grudge um, match. Do it one more time and it's not a coincidence. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's too many times to be... He's running out of, out of uh, relatives right now. Uh, so, and our... Guest of honor is lecturer and podcaster, John Gibbs. He's joined us from all the way from England. Uh, welcome, John. John yes. uh, specialized in explaining the Americans to the British. <laughs> yeah, yes. He's, teaching, he's uh, mostly been concerned uh, with explaining U.S. culture and politics to British uh, students. He's also the host of uh, the hot podcast, uh, the Spinoza Triad podcast. Yes. academics who try to um, to show us how philosophy can help us understand the world we live in right now and i and i stopped listening to it after i met john it's it's pretty interesting and very good you should definitely check it out we'll have the link in there then. welcome john <laughs> thank you very much i'm delighted and just to by be you saying that it makes me like smart you know so i'm just gonna say like oh what's your favorite <laughs> I, you know how everybody's listening to podcasts now i was like oh i listen to this podcast it's about philosophy it's it's above your level you know so <laughs> it will make me look good welcome to the show and thank you for coming thank you i'm very delighted to be with you yes so Derek, let's good. catch up a little bit what, what what's been up with you uh does the war bring you any um because we discussed about how you had that uh, ptsd and all that does news and war and stuff like that bring you any any um anything in your mind any you know i'll be anything? i'll be honest with you um no don't be <laughs> as as a as a as a veteran myself um you know we start talking about these sort of things like war escalation and stuff like that i i find myself almost kind of like i wouldn't say hiding my head in the sand i mean i'm a little bit versed in it but it's definitely brings back a lot of memories and um a lot of concerns of course you know yeah. and so um i'm definitely not keyed into it to the degree that a lot of other people are because it does bring up those sort of feelings yeah um but you know obviously i'm very concerned about it <clears throat> you know i was watching um the show shooter um you know um uh, with ryan felipe yeah you know, <laughs> I, the movie came out first, I, I think, the yeah. Michael book. But, you know, you learn a lot. But one of the things that was, you know, that stopped me was the, the amount of veterans that, that commit suicide daily in a daily basis and all stuff. I, I know this is not our topic, but we're going to jump in. But I want to cover it quickly. And when I, used to, I was wondering when you see stuff like this, you know, does it trigger anything in your mind? Uh, no, I mean, and also, to be frank, like, uh, it's twofold. I wasn't... Um, I was involved in combat, but not like person-to-person -person combat. Yeah. Um, you know, all my combat was seen from a battleship, uh, which is, di it's a different kind of machination, you know? And then, um, but just the, and then also too, being, you know, a, an objector to the war in Iraq and the objector to like what I felt like was, you know, an unjust war it makes me very concerned, um, you know, to the level of which America is going to be involved in this yeah. as well, or any, you know, a kind of outside country. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, it also makes me very concerned, obviously, about Russia's role in it, because, you know, it seems very imperialistic yeah. as to yeah. what they're doing. So, yeah, I, I could be I, wrong. John could, John could school me on this. I could be. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I, he's, he's going to school us all the way to the end. Well, um, but I want, you know, I want to say that if someone is feeling something, I mean, uh, let's not take Derek as the uh, example because you have no emotions. But 
if somebody feel I, I, I'm, you know, I'm surprised that a lot of the media doesn't cover stuff like that. But I think if our veterans are feeling anything, they should, uh, you know, try to get help as much as possible. There's so many of them that need help. Um, or they can check on their old friends and buddies, see, because everybody react to it, I guess, differently. But um, yeah. well, yeah. having said no, that, sure. let's uh, let's get started with the main topic. Uh, so the U.S.-U.K. special relationships. Uh, yes. What, is it, does it still exist, you think, John? I think it, it's one of those ideas which exists in the mind of the British from when they want to think it exists. And it certainly exists in the mind of certain prime ministers when they want to infer upon what they're doing some sort of extra status or claim some sort of something. Uh, other prime ministers say so. In the backs of the British mind, I think the special relationship is always assumed to be some sort of connection we've got with Americans that other European countries don't have. That we sit which is, so which is what? I never, I never well, get that part. Like yeah, you well, invaded that, you know, they, they, you were, the war was between the British and the American for, for independence. <laughs> Yeah, there's no real reason for the Brit for the Brits and the Americans to get on particularly well. I mean, we've been to war twice. Yeah, that's my point. Uh, more than I don't know any other country. I'm going to go with that, and uh, and we burned the White House down in 1812. So which we all want, but all sorts of reasons why, <laughs> why the, the Americans might not. And then throughout the 19th century, there's really no sense that the British are obvious allies they're much more in common with the french the french give you as you can see behind you the statue of liberty the french have a, a great, greater understanding of natural rights they they supported you in the war of independence against the british the, and the british are persistently imperialistic not something that's been particularly a tradition of the americans in the 19th century so the special relationship exists in the minds of really british governments up from the second world war onwards and it's almost invented by winston churchill as a sort of uh, an idea that the, the 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 new world would ride to the aid of the old, you know, and um, and that's been picked up occasionally by subsequent governments to confer, I say, confer on Britain a special sort of status. This this rather condescending idea, actually, from the Brits, that that we uh, the Brits are kind of Athens to America's Rome. Mm -hmm. You know, America's mm -hmm. got the power, got the brashness, got the imperial enormity, but Britain, well, we've got the wisdom. You get the experience. Yeah, the yeah. experience, and and we'll be a steadying hand. So to the rest and the of history, world, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the rest and of you world, also we, have the culture too. I mean, like well, your cultural is much more formal than ours. We like to think that. Yeah, yeah. except ex except I, I don't like that when the English actors come and take jobs here. <laughs> Spider Man from Queens. You're on, yeah, you're on notice, yeah. Florence Pugh. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, that English actor thing where the English, you know, this kind of world, you get English accents of the way you do Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's got a special claim on those kind of classic. But you lines. rarely see the and opposite. You rarely see an American actor doing, you know, uh, I saw one and it was just so bad. I couldn't even finish it. Uh, it was we the, saw um, one perfect one. Oh, did you? Which one? Austin Powers, my man, Mike Myers doing Austin. <laughs> wow, yeah, that that was, yeah, yeah, no, that was pretty good. So it, does that special relationship in the minds only of politician, or how is the people, the regular people feel? Well, uh, it, it also, sort of the relationship feels complicated. They, they feel, I think, when you, if you speak to a British, to British students or anyone, and you say, well, I, I, you know, my specialist subject is, Americans. I'm married to an American. I've uh, studied America. I, I can sort of tell you about America. You get their attention. The British love to hear about America. Mm -hmm. So if you say start a sentence with something like, oh, well, a very odd thing happened in America, in America or uh, they have an interest in America. America is, a, is sort of Britain writ large. It's a more colorful, more florid version of us. And they're, they're generally sort of wrong about that, especially if you say to a British person, you know, Sorry, if you say to Americans something like, um, to British people rather, and try and describe Americans' attitude to guns or Americans' attitude to healthcare, yeah. and you've immediately opened the Atlantic and it's suddenly a very different country. They do not understand um, the American idea of, uh, of guns or the debate, no. right? It's, it's, it's difficult to understand for British people because they think surely uh, highly educated people one of them the most modern country the country that embraces all kinds of technology they're going to deal with guns rationally 
-hmm. and, and any rational observation, any look at any way of looking at guns, the statistics, the arguments for and against, the arguments, the arguments that guns should be at least restricted, or the, or the Americans should have a very different attitude to guns, is overwhelming. It wins easily. So then you have to say, well, that's that's because the Americans' attitude to guns can't be explained through the arguments whether or not it reduces crime or makes you safer or ensures ensures against excessive government power. The the reason the Americans have an attitude to guns which is about their own identity. Mm -hmm. At least gun owners do. Americans, you know, you have to preface that by I know a lot of Americans and they don't have guns. So, you know, yeah, I, I always I always want to taste every American as a gun owner. I always wonder the, the, the idea that people have. Here he is, Noam Dorman. Welcome. Sorry. Uh, no problem. I always wonder the idea that people have about the debate on guns. You know, like when you see it, like, is it ridiculous for you or do you understand both sides? John? No, no, I don't understand both sides. Yeah. I, I, under, I mean, any argument that's used by the pro-gun lobby, the NRA with it, it's so easily to easy to knock those arguments down. They make uh -huh. so little sense that you can't understand why that why that doesn't obviously prevail. So there really is no uh, connection. You don't think, well, you know, guns. Well, I, I, I guess uh, the, the more the more guns you own, maybe it might be safe to protect your home. If I if I lived in America, well, mm -hmm. would I own a gun because of the high levels of crime or whatever? You soon re you could realize, well, those arguments can be dealt with quite easily, really, and. Um, and so no, there's no, there's no outreach. British just are baffled. The jaw okay. drops open if you try to. <laughs> what, what 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 about what about the views, uh, the other views that you have about the uh, the American, uh, you know, policies uh, other than that, like uh, or presidents or stuff like that. Can, but, can I ask a quick question before yeah, we sure. yeah. the gun oh. thing real quick? What uh, you have gun restrictive laws in England, or are you just not allowed to have guns at all? Uh, I don't think cops have guns yeah. even. Uh, police, the police routinely don't carry guns. Mm -hmm. the, 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 to, uh, ha owning a handgun is completely illegal. Right, right. So you have like a lot of you have a, do you have you have a lot of stabbings there in lieu of like stabbings, gun yes. We, yeah, yeah. we do have stabbings. Yes, we're not. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we still stab people. Yeah, they they. Uh, but because of, because of stabbing, we hear a mass stabbing. It's three or four people. Yeah. Right, right, and not fifty people in a nightclub. And, and of course, every now and again, there'll be some sort of shooting incident in Britain where someone has got hold of a shotgun. Yeah. Someone has smuggled a gun into the country, but they're very, very rare. And largely, criminals are armed if they're armed with a tool or armed with knives. If they're armed with guns, it's really quite rare. If, if you set me a task, you said, you're, you, John, you're a sort of intelligent chap. Go and buy a gun. I'll give you 10 days to find one. Well, I would. I couldn't do it. It would be impossible. I don't, I don't have. I don't know criminals. I mean, okay. How I'd find one <laughs> if I were a criminal, possibly, but I'm not. So most people in Britain have no access to guns. Okay. Mm. okay. So uh, yeah. So what? What? What's the views of uh, you know the American policies in general? I know we agree usually on most of foreign policy, or we look like we agree. But um, how is the views with the British from the British point of view with the uh, like let's talk well, about right now the Ukraine, the NATO, the whole thing. You guys are closer. What's what's the feeling yes. there? Well, the, uh, dealing with it with overall, Britain mm -hmm. has maintained a kind of lockstep with America as much as it possibly can, much to the annoyance of the rest of Europe. So, so Britain has presented itself, as I say, through the special relationship, gives us this sort of you know we are the American whisperers. We we will curb American power at its most excessive. And in return, America will enhance and burnish us with the, the nation with this special relationship. As for, as for currently, there, is, there really isn't much of a difference. I mean, I, I think that most people are very relieved to see that Biden is um, resisting, resisting very obvious and very uh, recognized. You could be sympathetic. So you could sympathize with the with the desire for Ukrainians to have a no fly zone. They're, they're like their house is on fire and they're st we're standing here with a hose pipe. It looks like that as easy as that. But fortunately, you're talking about Syria. Yeah, yeah no, no, I'm talking about Ukraine. <laughs> oh, okay. from, a, from, a Ukrainian, from a Ukrainian point of view, uh, they can't see why we they can't see why the overwhelming power of NATO doesn't give them a no-fly zone. They're being yeah. bombed from the air, and uh, you sympathise with that. 
I, I think if I were in Ukraine right now and I were being bombed, I would wish NATO would impose a no-fly zone. But from outside that, and from the British point of view, from fortunately, the, Amer the Americans are playing this quite cautiously because it is a very dangerous period we're living through. And I think the British are not proposing to intervene in Ukraine in anything other than to supply weapons. And, th and that is what the Americans are doing. So in that sense, there's... No but but is, that, is that the same... Um... Uh, feel with the rest of the European nations, you think? Yes. Really? Yeah, I, I, I heard I there was some argument with Germany, Italy. They're not on the same page in a way. One of the things Putin achieved is a, a, a European unity that hasn't been seen. Well, hasn't been seen for a long time. Uh, up until recently, the Germans were building, were um, uh, paying for and building a, a the pipeline. The, uh, I've forgotten the name of it now, but the pipeline that was ready, built, costly. Right, yeah. And uh, they, they, the, 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 the Russians generally thought the, the Germans wouldn't not use that. They'd invested billions in it. The Germans were, um, uh, the Germans' attitude, Germans' attitude to, to, to Russia has always been, the best way to deal with Russia is engage with them. Cooperate, not cooperate, trade with them. Through trade, you make the, Europe, the, the Russians dependent on Europe, and you keep them on side. Uh, it goes way back to the 1960s, Willy Brandt and uh, politic, Eastern politics. They said, if, if you set up two, two mutually antagonistic powers against each other in the Cold War, you end up with World War III. The Germans said, we can reach out to the Russians. They're people like us. They want to trade with us. They've got things to sell. And they, even, the, even the Soviets. So the, the German policy right up until recently, you'd imagine that, and I think I'm, I'm sure Putin banked on it, was that the Germans would split from the Americans and they would, they would, they would emphasize caution. Well, Germany said it's going to, for the first time ever, absolutely, Donald Trump couldn't get them to do it, increase their spending power, increase their spending on, on um, armaments to unknown levels, historic levels. The Germans haven't spent this much or proposed to spend this much on weapons since the end of the Second World War. And they've sent weapons to the Ukrainians. They've never done that before. The, the, the Germans absolutely don't do that. So, no, there's, there's, you know, across Europe, there's unity. Surprise, surprising. I think, and I think the most surprised person is Putin. So, uh, if, if I can ask another question here, what, what do you suppose then, I mean, what do you really make of what Putin's saying? I mean, I read a lot, but I just want to know your opinion. What do you what do you make of Putin's intentions then? Like of what he stated as to why he's going invading the Ukraine and whatnot. What do you what's what's your take on it? Well, I, I, I horribly suspect that he is acting very irrationally. Right, yeah. And that and that his his belief is something along the lines of his legacy, he's been in power a long time, his uh, sense of ancient Russian identity, rebuilding the Soviet Union or rebuilding Imperial Russia and Ukraine is the is the ancient historical heartland of Russia and he wants to he wants to bring that within I, I, I fear that's true. What I hope is that there's some small sort of you know he's a much more cynical character than that I hope and, and at some point he will say well I've I've gathered that you know I've made a corridor through from the Donbass region down to the Crimea maybe linked up with Moldovan Russians, as it were, the breakaway bits of Moldova. Maybe I'll do that. And that's good enough. I'll then turn to the, to the Russian people, declare a great victory. I was, this is what I intended to begin with, cover up the thousands who had died and um, go, uh, be, you know, that, that, that he would, would have achieved something. He would have extended Russia. Sure. And I fear that's not the case. I fear he's irrational. Right. No, what's yeah. your thoughts? Sir? What's your thought? On Russia? On the current situation in Putin, yeah. I know you like him, but... Uh, no, no, <laughs> Noam, Putin and Trump are like, they golf together. <laughs> Noam, Trump and Putin. <laughs> I mean, I, I hear various people saying various things, and I don't think anybody really has any um, uh, opinion that they can, uh, they can demonstrate. That there's, there's various gut feelings that people have about, which, which all involve a different... Uh, estimation of how rational he is, how bitter he is, how far he's going to take it, uh, and 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 nobody really knows. Um, uh, would he would he use a nuclear bomb? 
I mean, even that chance is, is less than zero. What I, what I do wonder, not that it matters so much, but I keep wondering about it, is whether or not, so we didn't, we didn't do very much to show that we were serious about resisting him when he started the buildup. Um, and essentially that, that boils down to we were afraid of doing anything that could escalate into a nuclear war, I, I believe that in the end. I mean, if, if, he, if he were not a nuclear power, we might have seen a, a different level of intimidation that we presented to prevent him from doing what he was doing. And um, it's just interesting, this kind of action versus inaction bias, that in the end, we're much closer to a nuclear war now through our inaction than I think a threat to him. You make one step over this line and we're going to unleash whatever we feel like against you. That would have seemed very, very dangerous to do. But in retrospect, that probably would have been less risky of a nuclear war than the situation we're in now. You know, I, I can't prove that, but that's my gut feeling. Yeah, I, I, I think the trouble is with that argument is that it's always a hindsight argument. In hindsight, it's always Absolutely. better to have stood up to people yes, when, yes. when they called you a bluff. You wish you'd been tougher. You know, in the, in the, the great thing that dominates Western thinking the last 50 or 60, 70, 80 years, since the end of the Second World War, has been the failure of appeasement. But generally speaking, being, being cautious and being moderate is probably, probably the best thing. Because if you, except when it doesn't work, and then you wish you'd been tougher. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, look, I, 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 I put it in a very similar way to what you just said last week, you know, that that's showing showing strength is almost 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 an opposite formulation, but the same thing that showing strength is almost always the best policy, except when it doesn't work, in which case. Yeah. Right. Well, well, yeah. And I'd say it's probably it's if the, the consequences of showing strength and your bluff being called. Yeah. Then you really wish you hadn't, because you have a It's been like the the um, the last great. Well, I don't know. There's been the, how we got out of the Cold War without a nuclear war. I don't know, but we yeah. did. It reminds me and, a lot when I get into a fight. Like if I if I just if I'm just talking, the other person think, well, maybe he knows karate, maybe he knows something. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. But once I take an action, <laughs> it's like okay, this is gonna be an easy one. But um, but 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 Mr. Gibbs, let me just look, maybe there is a middle ground that. We did more than threaten action. We actually made it very clear they had nothing to fear. Um, don't worry, whatever we do, we're not going to do anything uh, 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 militarily. And we, we didn't really, we weren't very aggressive about uh, arming them to the extent that we could have armed them. And, um, you know, that should have done a little bit more. That wouldn't have been that risky. And we didn't have to tell them we would do nothing. And, and you have to wonder if we, I know it's hindsight, so, so would be actions that would have prevented 9-11 have been hindsight, but there were certain people, there were certain people who were calling for those actions and they weren't, maybe they were lucky they turned out right, but they were also were on firm logic. They, they weren't just, um, you know, just throwing stuff out there. They had a line of thought that, that applies and they turned out to be correct. And so were there people with Putin. But you, you wonder if um, we had put some sort of, tripwire there not a tripwire that we promised so much but some that he really suspected we would could get him into big trouble and at the same time back channel had offered him something that he could call a victory like this carter that you said or or some sort of some sort of you know taking missiles out of turkey like we did in the cuban missile crisis that that like if some one of these i know you probably don't like henry kissinger but you probably can concede that he's a great a strategist when it comes to this stuff. You just wonder if, if a Kissinger uh, or uh, would have handled it exactly as we did. And, you know, the, all of history, this is why history is interesting to study. Everything can be can be uh, studied as counterfactual things. Of course. And, and you know, just to say one of the things, one of the one of the assumptions you always hear about in history, like uh, what's his name, Mearsham has this whole theory how we could avoid avoided um, uh, all this if we had just not made noises about expanding NATO and blah, blah, blah. And he may be right. But um, there is also this kind of assumption to all these guys that somehow the human race could be made peaceful and, and, and achieve, uh, you know, comedy and, and uh, utopia. But there is something also about this which just says it's inevitable one way or another, no matter what you do, the human race is just violent. And every often these 
that you know, shit hits the fan. It's, it's very disturbing, especially with dictatorships. I, I would say that um, the biggest enemy on earth is dictatorships. This is the biggest enemy in what we're seeing now. Yes. It's also the risk of, it's one of the reasons why nuclear power is so risky because Chernobyl, if you watch that series on Chernobyl, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. In, in every aspect, everything that a dictatorship touches turns to shit, excuse me. And even this comparison of the Monroe Doctrine to Russia, you know, it, it is very compelling. It's hard to talk your way out of that. But then, you know, one side is on the side of people being free and living fulfilled lives. And one side represents a sovereignty that is not that of a single thug, but of a, an actual community. And the other side represents uh, essentially colonialism or, or whatever, whatever you want, despotism. And the, the people who wanted to join NATO wanted to join NATO because they actually were threatened by a cyclical Russia, which yet again was probably going to you know, put their thumb on them. So I don't know if the, if the Monroe Doctrine is really a fair comparison, but it does throw you back on your heels when you try to explain, your, explain to someone why yes. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, what you said there about dictatorship. Dictatorship is a really terrible idea. <laughs> you know, and whether it gets the trains to run on time or the, the, the streets are clean, it's really a, an appalling way of government. And you, we can see it playing out in front of our eyes. Is yeah. that Putin may actually not know what's going on himself. It's possible. We, again, that's just a guess. But it may be he doesn't know what's not being informed how bad. Because who's going to be brave enough to tell Putin it's going badly? And before that... <laughs> When he looks into the, uh, you know, the possibilities of invading Ukraine, he's been continually told it's a very good idea, excellent idea. Every every whim and fancy of his of his ideas are, re are echoed back to him as as brilliant brilliant genius. And that's I, I have another view on the dictatorship, but it's not it's not the discussion now. But it's just like I I feel the dictatorship is a result, you know, uh, of uh, being occupied for hundreds of years and no education, all that. And and the the proof of that is in the middle, for example, in the Middle East when there's election, the Muslim brotherhoods ever, always win, you know, and people don't want them and end up being terrible and go back to where it was because, you know, because people are not educated enough to, for, for uh, to understand democracy and rights and stuff like that. But but anyway, I, I, there's two yes. things I want to ask you. Wait, wait, okay, can I say one other thing, just observation I had, I don't know, I don't know if over in England this is interesting to you, but one of the, one of the arguments that we hear a lot in America, this is really a, um, just a tangent, but one of the arguments we hear in America a lot now is kind of the criticism that we're so focused on a European thing. Oh, when it happens among white people, that's when we care about it, you know? And, and you know... This, uh, this, that's not an argument, by the way. What do you mean? It's a fact. <laughs> well, what, what, what's, what's interesting to me, it, it, it does shine a light on an unpleasant truth, unpleasant to me, which is that for all we would wish that all Americans view themselves as Americans, and America as an entity is obviously part of the West and it, has, especially, it does have as a you know, historic relationship with England and Europe. We are a European country transplanted to the new world. So it would be perfectly natural, regardless of race, for us to be concerned more, take a bigger interest in what's happening in Ukraine, because these are our people, not our people, blood to of our the people who are born. Remember, historically, this is, this is Europe. We're part of this world. This isn't Saudi Arabia. This is Europe. And yet it doesn't, in a certain way, it exposes that um, American is the American melting pot only goes so far. In the end, as we become less and less country of people does actually actually descended from that part of the world, they in some small way view themselves less as part of the Western world. No matter no matter what. And I, I can't I'm not criticizing that. I think it's perfectly human, it's to be expected. But it, it's makes me sad, you know. It, it shows there's a limit to how far humans will ever get past blood and blood is always going to be thicker than water and it, and that can be dangerous that, that can be dangerous for a country in, in yes. this area. Yes. it's interesting yeah it, it, it is the power it's the power isn't it of meaning and symbolism i mean for, for for reasons that defy logic 
Putin thinks that the Ukraine is the is the spiritual heartland of the, the old Russians. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's just nonsense. It's a fantasy. And, and you're absolutely right about the about the the the, the 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 Ukrainians, a million Ukrainians heading to two million Ukrainians have headed out of Ukraine into Europe. Well, apart from the Germans, when they did take in very large numbers of Syrian refugees, uh, the Europe has been much less receptive to to uh, other other form, other refugees. Now, true, they're coming across an immediate border. They're mostly women and children. They 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 would they would elicit a certain sympathy anyway but they are white you're absolutely right yeah. and there's a feeling of they're like us and uh there's a there's a there's a unit a sort of unity of sympathy which is a little bit troubling but understandable i mean, I mean even from the coverage from a lot of things but um you know i think we'll but, we'll but of course but just but just the opposite but nobody begrudges a black americans um extra concern for what happens in africa that we we, we completely understand although yeah. it's really it's just, it's the flip side of the very same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the same. We don't say to them, you're an American now, what do you care about Africa? You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate. We, we humans like people that look a bit like us. Uh, That's right. We, yeah. when, a plane, when a plane crashes and you hear there's 50 Americans on board or, te or two Americans on board, it's more, it's more, that, that gets your attention more than if it was the other side of the world. Yeah. So John, two, two things Sorry. that I want to discuss that it's been a, a, a little discussion here in the US. One is um, if Trump was the president, things would have been different. And the, the second one that Putin mm -hmm. uh, was, uh, you know, um, Ukraine and NATO wanted to join NATO. So he, he really, he was, uh, he was threatened. So really he was, um, uh, that what he did was a reflection to uh, uh, Ukraine being a puppet for the US. So these two well, things that are going on here yeah. a lot. What's your thoughts well, in this discussion? Well, the first one about Trump, would, would, would they have done this if it was Trump? Now, clearly, many a Trump supporter might say something along the lines of, well, Trump, a tough character, unpredictable. Yeah. He, you know, would he be doing that? It's kind of, it's a bit like Ronald Reagan played on the idea that when Carter and the, uh, and the hostages were held in Tehran, that uh, well, if Ronald Reagan were president, they wouldn't have dared to do such a thing. Uh, I suspect that actually, well, for a start, we'll never know. But it, mm. what we do know of Trump is that he had a very, a really quite unpleasantly sympathetic attitude to the Russians for reasons that aren't entirely apparent. But he certainly did have a more, more likely because he wanted he was looking post Trump to hotels in Moscow. But he certainly had a very sympathetic attitude to the Russians. And while Trump was around, the Russians saw a receptive, friendly president in the United States, which encouraged them possibly to not get involved in in military because America was doing it for them. You know, he was black, blackmailing the, Rus the uh, Ukrainian president into, uh, into trying to get dirt on Biden. I was, you know, let's let, let, let the president, let the American president do what he does, was, might have been Putin's attitude. So we'll never, we'll never quite know. There is a sort of madman quality about Truman, uh, tr about Truman, <laughs> about Trump, that you, <laughs> you might think, well, he is, he is unpredictable. The one thing you can say about Trump, he was predictably unpredictable. What exactly he would do would be uncertain. So I, you know. Let me tell you, what, well, this is the first part of what you said. Why, why I, I don't know that you're wrong, but if you're wrong, let me tell you why, why I'm pretty sure this would be why that you would be wrong. So it's unknowable. Um, Trump pretty much uh, conformed almost exactly to the Pat Buchanan line of politics i don't know if, how how what a kind of a name pat buchanan is in, in england but um you know this whole america first thing keeping a trade within the country controlling the border uh uh, uh neo you know, quasi isolationist points of view all of it and and pat buchanan's view on russia and pat buchanan doesn't have hotels there has um been sympathetic to russia all along so it's it's not it would not be surprising mm, no, yeah. how closely trump aligns with pat buchanan that trump trump was sympathetic to russia and i, and I will say one word in trump's behalf about this the madman theory nobody knows. um trump came into office wanting to strike some kind of grand bargain with russia the notion that uh, crimea Daddy. Was, was, yeah, not now sweetheart <laughs> <laughs> that, that um 
that that Crimea sanctions, if we're going to have sanctions against uh, Russia until they withdraw from Crimea, we're going to have sanctions till the end of time. And that and that a permanent um, antagonism between Russia and America is dangerous for the world. So so many people, including Kissinger, were talking about this grand bargain. And it was impossible for Trump to have done that because everybody was ready to accuse any kind of move he made in that direction as proof that he was actually a Russian spy. So there's little hypocrisy going on out of the people who would have been the first people to cry foul if Trump had actually tried to settle this in a way more favorable way than our best case scenario is right now. Yeah. They would, they would have been against him for doing that. They would have, they would have said, you're doing this because you're in Putin's pocket. Aha. Uh, so, um, and, and they would have been, well, they might have been, they might even have been right, but it still would have been the right thing for Trump to have done. Now we know that in retrospect. So it's just interesting. It's one of these things. You just don't, you don't know. So well, completely, I mean, Trump's attitude to, to, to Putin was somewhat baffling. Yes. It was, it was, it was difficult to know. I mean, I think maybe over time history will unfathom and will reveal what it was that that, he uh, definitely he, he loves, sympathetic. Trump, love, Trump loves alpha males, for sure. That's yes. Well, it may be as simple as that. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, don't you also kind of think, though, that if Trump were in power, he would have been the one to be the most responsive in terms of, like, we'll lay down the hammer if you do this? You know, like the opposite of the Biden's dance of, like, let's handle this diplomatically. I feel like Trump would have been, like, the saber rattler, you know? that you had talked about before like yeah possible i mean i think that's what i think trump's trump's supporters i'm sure trump himself will will say this would never have happened on my watch because i'm right. i'm the tough guy i mean i fire people on the apprentice i mean right. what, what about the second <laughs> world of fantasy <laughs> <laughs> he, he did fire people on the apprentice without any hesitation fearlessly yeah. <laughs> and and the thing with trump too like when you say like if i do this you do this he cannot predict that with trump if i do this he can do this 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 and this and this and there's so yes. many yes. options you know so we don't know yes. what about the second part that uh putin was really provoked you know um by talking uh, to uh ukraine uh with the nato the talks between ukraine and nato knowing that ukraine will never be part of the nato you know Yes. In a way, they wanted this war to happen. That's another argument we have here. It, it, it is. I mean, the, the idea that, that the, the West is somewhat to blame for this because NATO, 20 years ago, you're wondering why it exists. It's, 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 it's been formed to defend Europe against Russia. Russia doesn't look like much of a threat 20 years ago. In fact, in the 1990s, there's even talk of the Russians joining NATO. So NATO keeps getting bigger, but it's not not sure what it's for. It gets involved in wars in Afghanistan. It gets involved in wars in the, in in Bosnia and so it's on. It's not their I'm fault. Sorry. That's where all the wars are. Say it again. I said it's not their fault. That's where all the wars yes, are. Well, yeah. so it's, a big, <laughs> it's a big military alliance which is defensive, but doing very undefensive things. Yeah. So it had, it had an identity crisis, and it keeps getting bigger. Yeah. So the argument goes that NATO expanded to the point where it's provoked. It's a, a reason for its own existence. Well, the, the, the defense of NATO would be that in order to join NATO, you did have to uh, concede to certain at attitudes of, of human rights. You, had you to have to have a stabilized government, which is never going to happen yeah. in Ukraine. So, so it was seen as a as kind of, you know, as as the, um, the Balkan, not the Balkan, as the uh, um, small states on the... Um, other, as, as smaller states joined, Eastern European joined NATO. Baltics, Baltics. Baltic, thank you. Goodness me. <laughs> as, the, as the Baltic states joined, there's a feeling that's a badge that uh, not only was they coming within the, uh, the military umbrella, but they're also, they're also being part of the West now. Western values of democracy and tolerance and, um, and so on. And that was, that was a good thing. So it began to reinvent itself in that way. Uh, did you... Uh, did you did yeah. you guys in Britain, like when when we elected Trump as a defense mechanism, you elected um, uh, what's his name, Boris Johnson? Uh, Boris Johnson, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to, to, to evil to even the power, like the twin Boris. pillars. <laughs> yes. yes, yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. Poor old, well, not poor old Boris, dear idea. 
But Boris Johnson was seen as, you know, Britain, Trump described him as a sort of British Trump. Uh, and superficially he is. He's, he's larger than life. He's a populist in some ways. He reaches out beyond his normal party supporters. Um, he was born in New York. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but Boris Johnson is is a bright is, is not is, is not suspected of being a fraud, is he? I mean, he's he's actually oh. a smart guy. Well, he, he's a, he's a well, he he's not. He, yeah, absolutely, he's not a Trump in so many other ways. Uh, for a start, he's probably cleverer than Trump, and he's yeah. certainly more adaptable than Trump. And, I mean, um, he's and an educated he, man. He, he knows. Yeah, he, uh, he certainly plays on his education. But he would you guys hear like that the, the term like "Make America Great Again"? What did that mean to you? Well, Trump saw it. Oh, what, what do we think it meant? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it was it was seen as somewhat baffling because America. Where was America not great? What was that point that America? <laughs> was you know, it's so funny how the rest of the world. I agree with you. And it's not as appreciated inside the United States how great this country is. It's crazy to me. But, oh, because yeah. you have people who are like, when was America ever great? That's what you yeah. hear. Yeah, that's, the added, like, that's what that. you hear here, which is insane. It only takes... Well, somebody... Andrew, Andrew Cuomo was the one who said that. When was America ever great? Right, right yeah. I, I, think he, I think he found out his answer. It was when a boss could make, make moves on his employees without getting... Yeah. <laughs> 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 Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I to be honest, I mean, this is the topic, but the Make America Great Again, um, that slogan reverberated very deeply with me at the time as a, perfect, as a person of a particular generation, that when I was a kid, um, everything that happened that was remarkable happened in America, the tallest buildings, the, the moon, um, uh, and, and we had a a unity and a, and a pride in ourselves. I mean, I can remember being a, let's see, I was eight, eight or nine years old when the when we walked on the moon. Every little boy was was an astronaut, and uh, you know, we we just felt great about being little American children. And then at the Olympics, and then if if we if we the World Trade Center, I remember when, I remember the World Trade Center was conceived, and then it was up. <laughs> you know, then it was up. We, we, the, the Empire State Building was built in 13 months, 13 months. And then 10 years after 9-11, there was still nothing in lower Manhattan. It was just this- How long it took you to renovate your kitchen? Well, so, so, <laughs> and, 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 so make America great again. Um, it, it, it did emotionally hit me that this there was that that we had somehow lost our way we didn't believe in ourselves anymore we couldn't get anything done anymore uh the the, the suspicion was that the next great things that were going to happen might not even happen here anymore they might happen in china you know mm -hmm. even said why should we go to the mars why should we go to mars people will say you know and i remember saying at the time well when china lands on mars everybody's going to understand exactly why we should have gone to mars i mean that will be really a knife right through our gut to yeah. see things happening. So that's what it meant to me. I know for other people it meant uh, when, when black people knew their place, you know. I, I don't and, and I don't think that's what it meant, but I guess part of the genius of that phrase is that it's, it was um, a, a Rorschach test and that people who felt that way about black people could see it that way. Regardless. I'm gonna share with you what yeah. I thought of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at her shirt. Oh, here we go. Can you well, see that's it? the Lindbergh. That's the Lindbergh. Uh, that's a different thing altogether. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but that, it's, that's... but it's 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 his attitude. Like I understand your point of view, which is great. But what he was trying to say, like by uh, "Make America Great Again," was not what you meant. If he said it the way you said it, it would have been different. But well, no, I know. I think that is what he meant. Actually, yeah. I, yeah. He left a pretty open ended. Yeah, I, I really do believe that's what he meant. As far as America first, you know, Reagan also. Uh, flirted with that phrase, despite the fact that that phrase has that uh, Charles Lindbergh anti-Semitic isolationist past. Um, but I think, somebody's, but it's still an irresistible phrase because uh, it, it it doesn't have to mean that to people who don't know that history. And basically, oh, yeah. it's that history, right? It's, it's a bit like uh, Brexit in this country. It meant what you wanted it to mean, and for many British people, it meant make a, when Britain get great again.
it meant something like we were going to go back in time, back to a sort of golden age of little villages and Britain in charge of its borders and policemen in, in, in funny hats and so on. And it would be, it would be like it was. It, would be, it was a longing nostalgia. But it meant that to some British people. Brexit was putting the clock back to the way it's Putin, an identity. Putin has made NATO great again, right? <laughs> And he's putting the clock back. I just read an article from a Chinese point of view um, that really spun out how this this can this may end up being the best thing that's ever happened to the West. That uh, China is discredited and the West is unified. And um, you, 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 I, I'll send you guys the article. Uh, so I have no real point here except that. The past sometimes was there. There, there the, the past is always romanticized. There was always risk of this good old days part of human nature. We should be wary of that. On the other hand, that doesn't mean there weren't certain things in the past that were worth uh, valuing, and it is to get back to. And and certainly, all through the West, in our effort to be open to our blemishes in our past, our atrocities in the past, racism in the past, we have lost sight of our greatness. I mean, the West, without the West, you say what you want about the West's bad contributions to the world. Without the West's good contributions to the world, the world is horrible. I mean, look around at anything good in the world, whether it's an ideology or a medicine or a technology or... Whoa, 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 whoa. All that started from the Middle East. What are you talking about? Every, every single thing you just mentioned started from the yes. Middle East until the 100-year well, war. I get it, I get it. But exactly exactly, exactly our effort to, to give more credence to that point of view than it probably deserves. We have lost our confidence in, as, as a people. And it causes us to tear us apart at home. America's coming apart at home. Again, I, I would say to Americans, you, 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 it's still a, it's a great country in a sense, and it never was not, it never was not that. The, the, the feeling of malaise, the sense of kind of things were drifting, was understandable. A lot, lots of the Western world felt that, lots of, especially after the oil shocks of the 70s, a sense that, that the old economic models didn't work, that there was a rise of first, I mean, if only a few years ago, the great challenge to America was Japan. They, somehow they made cars better than American. And that was, that was uh, you know, an affront to America. America made the world's cars, made the world's best cars. And all of a sudden, no, Japan actually made ones a whole lot better. And there was the feeling there that, well, actually what was happening was America was conquering the world. It was conquering the world with capitalism. It was conquering the world with market economics. It was conquering the world with, with uh, its, its, its soft power. Hollywood. It's the Hollywood, yeah. you know, uh, you know, the, it, it, while America is often in the Middle East, if you, can, you st walk on the streets of Cairo and ask people who's the great problem country in the world is, they'll often say America, but you ask them where they want to live, it's often America. Yeah. America is massively admired in all sorts of ways, even though there are military powers rising, one of them is China, but who wants to live in China? Yeah. Would you emigrate to China? Even, oh, even with it, even with I it. mean, I go for a visit, but, but I think I think that uh, the English should be the oh, last. Visit. English should be the last people to um, make fun of Trump for uh, make Trump great again, because you call yourself the Great Britain. <laughs> That's in your <laughs> name. <laughs> Who calls himself great? Oh, the oh, whole country. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real. It's a real, it's a real burden. I bet the, the feeling of the British Empire, you know, they'd yeah. lost the empire, yet to found a role. Uh, they're always looking, the British are uh, habitually looking back. And again, one of the roles they found was to be America's special friend. Yeah. Uh, that, was a that was a shame for Britain because it got us involved in all sorts of difficulties with other European countries. And of course, got us involved in the, in the Iraq war, which um, of all the prime ministers post-war, Tony Blair was the one who thought he understood and could manipulate the Americans and was the most fooled by that. Mm -hmm. so oh, yeah. You thought, thought he had to can't mess with Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney. I, is just... <laughs> I, I put in the chat for you guys uh, this article I saw in a Chinese website of some kind, but uh, people at home, you can Google it by it's the US-China Perception Monitor, whatever that is, and the headline is Possible Outcomes of the Russo-Ukrainian War and China's 
choice. It's a pretty interesting article. I, I and before you read the article, make sure you have an antivirus in your computer before anything. <laughs> <laughs> and now you find, you, you, you've been swinging, but you finally hit one hot time. <laughs> By the way, the word great in Great Britain doesn't mean great like... I know, know, I know. It's a joke. <laughs> I'm using the word. You really think I don't get it? Uh, yes, I really do. <laughs> <laughs> That's how low Noam thinks of me. <laughs> Which yeah, is what I thought it, man. You have a point. <laughs> but I really knew that one. <laughs> Just like make it, make it sure. I, I want to go back to America. Wait, I was say one thing. So, you know, when, 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 when Hong Kong was protesting, they were carrying American flags, I remember, you know. And, um, you know, that, that I found that moving. And, and I was, and I lamented that, first of all, most Americans didn't even know that that was going on, that Hong Kong was, was carrying American flags. And, 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 and they would have, and most Americans, or many Americans, especially left-wing Americans, would have been shocked. Their perception of themselves and how the world probably feels about them is so <clears throat> distorted that they would be taken by surprise by the idea that foreign people actually still view America as the... No, they don't. That's in in, in, in uh, nineteen eighty nine, on Tiananmen Square, when the Chinese came close to having a sort of liberal revolution, uh, they built something like the Statue of Liberty. It wasn't it? Was a, it was Lady Liberty or whatever? It looked rather like the Statue of Liberty, and you know, America continued to continues to inspire people in the sense that it's a great experiment. It's the it's the great experiment in democracy. What would a country based on radical liberty look like? Well, By the way, the Ameri Statue of Liberty was going to Egypt first. FYI, the Statue yeah, of Liberty is, was going to Egypt first, but of course, <laughs> well, yes, well, that's a, yes. the Jews made some calls and went to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, the Jews saved America yet again. Anyway, yeah, appreciate uh, that one. The, the best analogy I see for all this stuff, I've made this before, is a is that of a microscope. You know, you you can see the defects in something that have, that's really defective. You know, just with the naked eye. And then you clean it up and you put it under a microscope and you double the magnification and you see it looks just as bad and you double it and you clean it up you double it again before you're at you know yeah. 1024 magnification and it still looks as bad as ever and if you just look through the microscope you really don't realize what actually what you're reacting to is nothing and this is where america's at now we don't we, the things that we react to somebody made an ethnic joke this becomes our headline in this country for a week, we lost all perspective. Everything we see is this through this magnified uh, microscope, and we have no concept anymore of what the thing on the slide actually looks like to the rest of the world. That's it, except I would only take exception to that in the one respect that one thing that America has become greater at is being honest about its own history, and uh, it, in the 1950s, it's getting there. It's not being more honest. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm Th thank God for good. Netflix and some documentaries. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we absolutely, I absolutely agree with you, and I would never for a minute we should say we should do otherwise. But there is, like, like, so, like many medicines, there's been a tremendous number of side effects taking that medicine that we took, and the, the cure is not worse than the disease. But the cure, the the, the, uh, the the cure has brought us substantial misery along with that yeah. that it, that familiar thing. I mean, it, there was a, yeah. I mean, there was there was a, a riot demonstrations in the city of Bristol, and they tore down a statue of Edward Coulson. He sat stood stood there for you know two centuries or so. This statue, great benefactor to local schools, great benefactor to the poor, but all his money came from slavery. And the crowd pulled the statue down and threw it in the harbour. People said, well, it's ancient history. Why, why, why should the British be guilty of their past? Well, the British power and its industrial investment was based upon slavery. It was one of the most profitable trades in the world. And the British need to be aware of that, just to be honest about themselves. Yeah. And it helps, it helps so them become a better nation. But my friend Coleman Hughes made the point when he was talking about this, that um, it, it's gone so far that... Americans who are concerned about that stuff are more concerned about slavery in the 1800s, far more concerned about slavery in the 1800s, to devote much more intellectual energy to slavery in the 1800s than they do to the rampant slavery going on today in the world. 
That's remarkable. That's a right. great point. It's, I mean, but if you think about it, it's, I mean, there is, there is a lot of slavery in the world, a slave trade in the world now. Yeah. And people who are concerned themselves with that issue don't spend any time on that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with the tendency to try and fix the problems of the past in a, in a way that allows you to forget the problems of the present. I think that's, that's true. But what, what I fear, human nature being complex, is that part of what fuels that focus on slavery in the past is um, the pleasure of the resentment of it. I, I don't know how to explain that, but there, you know, that is the way people are. They, they, there is a pleasure to be taken from bringing America through it for its, for its past and for its hypocrisies. That is, the same satisfaction is not to be had by focusing your life on Mauritania and the African slave trade going on today. So human nature is very, very complex. I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of um, most of what is considered woke and canceling, I see really as just a, uh, a license for being a bully. Even, even if they're right about what it is they're complaining about, I think the first urge it's satisfying is it feels good to be a bully. And now yeah. you now I have permission to get these people, you know? I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a moral posturing for sure. Yeah. 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 And that's one of the things I'm, I'm very proud with this podcast and, and the conversation we have and stuff like that, that we constant about, you know, against cancer culture, about, you know, about speaking the truth and all that. And especially the part about America, because not being from here and traveling around the world, you know how, except the part when uh, at 9-11, that was the only time that I was traveling and I feel like people were like heated against America. But other than that, they always, you know, uh, wanted to do. John, I want to ask you something about yeah. your the name of your podcast and it's uh, totally unrelated. Do you believe in God? Uh, well, uh, Einstein asked that, well, said that the God he believed in was Spinoza's God. Yeah, because uh, and, Norm, I, I don't know if you, you haven't, if you read my email, his, the name of his uh, podcast is uh, the Spinoza Triad. That's why. Spinoza I, Triad. I don't know. The, you should tell us about Spinoza's God, but I believe Spinoza was Jewish, correct? He was Jewish, yes. I want to make, sure, make sure that point is known. No, oh, he just <laughs> wanted to take credit for everything. He was, however, excommunicated by the Jews of Amsterdam. For, right. for, for, he he was a Jew. Better. What else do you want? Everybody Everybody was, what, what was Spinoza's God? Well, Spinoza's God, uh, well, doesn't know that you exist. And Spinoza's God, if if the, is a is a is a is a simple, uh, it's a force of good through the universe. It simply works through time to create life, but it doesn't know you exist. And when you die, you don't go anywhere. And there is certainly there is this life and only this life and only this world in which you inhabit. So, and, so my understanding from it was like Spinoza yeah. is they don't have a god the world is the god like this is all part yes, of god is nature there is no god that's what mm -hmm. spinoza god, is, right god is in god infuses nature god grows through trees and plants and the universe and the stars uh -huh. it, but it's not a purpose of good it's not mm -hmm. going anywhere that we could hope would be a good purpose it's simply it is, it's simply it, a manifestation of the work that is spinoza's god a supernatural um force with a will or not no no okay. no not spinoza's god so I mean, not, yeah no john so it's, not, really, it's not really god then it's not really god then. yeah there is no god in it uh, it's essentially he was accused of being an atheist and uh if you can he can he, he would say that he's not an atheist because of the uh the essence of running through the universe is nature god is nature and nature drives forward something that at least uh, is creative uh, if, even if it isn't necessarily turning it's not, not heading any to any there's no purpose no plan but it is a creative good yeah it just exists so, so you live in a good you live in a good universe if it's not if it's not one guided by any kind of guide so you're saying so that we, this this is it <laughs> this is it <laughs> that's some bullshit it's, it's chaos it's, uh, it's uh, when you when you vanish out of this world you vanish into absolute nothingness well um, yeah if, if you want to upgrade and you want 72 virgins let's talk after the show <laughs> Derek, do you believe in god i'm sorry do i do you believe in god yes i do Good for you. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, you know, 
along similar lines to Spinoza, but you know, I don't think there's like the old Santa Claus in the sky sort of fella or anything like that. But I'm very respectful of everybody's religions, of course. Even yours, Adam. You know, <laughs> no, of course, we all uh, respectful other people's religion when we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I don't believe in God, and I, and I don't think I understand. Um, Spinoza's God uh, well enough to know whether I whether I think that changes anything in my mind. I mean, I I, I acknowledge that there is nature, and there is um, forces in the universe that are um, that respond to the laws of physics, etc. If you call that God, then I, that's yes. that it exists. But I don't think that's what somebody's asking me when they ask me if I believe in God. Yeah. Right, yeah. But in any way, uh, the podcast is awesome, and people should listen to it. Thank you uh, very much. Yes, we. Yeah, yeah. It's, it we really called ourselves. Is... Sorry. Go ahead. We called ourselves the Spinoza Triad initially because we were the three of us, and we quite liked. We were trying to understand Spinoza's philosophy, and we talked yes. about it for fun, and then we put the podcast out, and goodness me, other people started listening. So I wish we called it a more, a more attractive <laughs> title. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, John, you don't really know me. Um, I don't know if you listened to this podcast before, but when, when you sent me the name Spinoza tryout and it's like, I had to practice it for two days to say it live. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of stress you put on me <laughs> just because uh, Norm is here, you know, but uh, you get it right. Uh, we, we didn't ask you, maybe it's, it's about time to end, right? Yeah. Um, what, how do you think this thing in Russia is going to end? Do you have any feel for that? How do I think it's going to end? I think it's, uh, I, I I suspect it's going to grind on. Um, a, a, an awful lot of people are going to die. It's, the, the Russians are going to certainly lose in the sense that they won't achieve what they wanted to achieve. Uh, and th therefore, it's an awful lot less predictable. So I don't know how it's going to end because I think I, I wish if well, a few weeks ago, I would have easily predicted that Putin would no way attack all uh, Ukraine from all sides. It was a sort of ploy. It was, he was cunning. He was that clever. I think he's not in control. I don't think he's not in control of events. He's lost control of events. And therefore, I, I can't really say I know what's, obviously I don't know what's going to happen. I can't really say I have a firm prediction other than it's going to get worse. You think he's going to lose? Yes. Oh yeah. He's already, he's already lost in a way. Because to absorb, if he's, well, he's, if his attempt is to absorb Ukraine, that's that's a fantasy he's already lost that he's lost the hearts and minds of the ukrainian people the numbers of troops he's put into the country can't hold down 40 million people that are against him and now largely armed he's in for he's in for an, a long protracted defeat or a short humiliating defeat i mean he he thought he knew three things he was sure of three things in my opinion he was sure that america wasn't going to get involved militarily he got that right uh, he was also yes. sure that whatever sanctions we came up with would be porous and unserious. He got that way wrong. And he was sure that his military would have an easy time of it in Ukraine. He got that really wrong. He got two out of three things that I, I think he thought were no-brainers. Yes. And he finds himself real. Like, how does he get? I don't see. I, I agree with everything you said. Um, he's. He's already lost. The question is, how much has he lost? Will he come yes. out hide? Will he come? Will he manage to stay in power? Nobody knows. By the way, this this article I sent you before we disconnect, I hope you cut and paste it or something into something you can read it because it's interesting. Uh, it talks about that and it also makes the case that China might have to realign itself with America here to for its own interests. Yeah, uh, I, I, the China. I mean, the Chinese are altogether a more cynical power. And altogether, if you have, everything in China is China first, yeah. and this is not good, as far as the Chinese are concerned. And I think when they were, when they met together at the um, Winter Olympics, and the China, they signed a sort of bond of eternal friendship, uh, they, the Chinese were thinking gas and oil, they're yeah. thinking steel, they're thinking uh, masses of resources in in Russia. Very good good move. I don't think they thought this at all. I think the Chinese I are quite horrified. I don't know if, if, if you guys heard, I don't know if it's true yet, but like in the Middle Eastern news, there's a lot of news right now that Putin is recruiting a lot of um, fighters from Syria. I, uh, I don't know if that's true. No, no, they volunteered. They volunteered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, but, so la last, last question, very important <clears throat> for John. Who is the next James Bond? 
<laughs> this is the most important thing. And who's going to be the villain now? Are we back to Russia's villain? Well, uh, yeah, as a Brit, all, all villains in most films are British, which is very disconcerting. Yeah, it's not as good as before. The British, the British accent is the accent of the feet villain. Oh, the, yes. the cold-hearted villain, and it's a real shame, you know. You the like calculating villain, yeah. The calculating villain with an unhealthy attitude to cats or something. You know, it's sort of um, that's that that's uh, so, uh, who the next James Bond is. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know. James Bond keeps on going. There's the Tom Hardy. I'd go for. Okay. But yeah, you see, Andrew Alba, no. Not yeah, he, he keeps getting, getting talked about. That would be quite good. Yeah. He'd be a good. Henry Cavill. That's, I think that's who's going to do it. Yeah, he's good. Oh. Henry Cavill. He's a Superman. Oh, now. Superman. Uh, I, it's, tough, it's tough to see Superman as James Bond. That's but maybe it'll work. Yeah, he's going to get everything. Character. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wants it all, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right, I guess that's it. Well, you're a great guest. I'm sorry. I, I I wish I could just blame it on changing the clocks, but I I can't blame it on that. I literally just I. I slept almost all day, and I, I'm catching up on sleep right now. My, my wife knows she's supposed to get me up, never gets me up. So. Oh, well. Uh, John, you want to share your information where people can follow you or listen to you? And um, uh, Yes, uh, we are the Spinoza Podcast. Uh, we are intermittent rather than regular. We, we, we get regular podcasts out when we can, but it depends on the three of us. Two of us still work, and... Uh, um, we have a our, we, there's it's myself, uh, Dr. Richard Miller, who's a philosophy lecturer and uh, doctor of philosophy. Uh, Dan Rowland, uh, Dr. Richard Miller is also a coach in MM um, mixed martial arts, uh, interesting combination in itself. Mm. So we often, we often when what we try to do is make philosophy applicable to ordinary events around us, and we mostly we mostly fail, but our ambition is big. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good I, I use philosophy when I try to pick up girls too but uh, go, go oh, ahead yes. Derek. what about you you want to share your information uh, yeah you can follow me at Hump Derek I'm going to be at the Bell House March 31st uh, come out to that and offline John said he liked my comedy thank you yeah. uh, any news in booking um, Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah. Derek is still railing out there holding signs against Louis C.K. we'll never forget never I pay to watch him uh, <laughs> all right guys well thank you so much john thank you for joining us all the way from uh, england and uh we appreciate it we hope to see you soon if you come to the yeah, you're great john you grab the china you. article grab the china article bye grab it okay guys thank you Bye. later guys thank you, thank you.